Hello and welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. I'm your host, Scott Brady, and we have a unique episode this week. Uh, This was actually recorded in 2016 when I was on a trip through Kenya and Uganda with Dr. Brian Bass and some other friends. Uh, You can hear more about Dr. Brian Bass in one of our episodes that we called The Real Indiana Jones. Fascinating character, and I recommend that you listen to it. So this conversation that you're going to hear now was done in the field somewhere in northern Kenya. So you're going to hear a lot of sounds of birds and other creatures encroaching on the audio. Uh, But for the most part, it is a very interesting listen to a gentleman by the name of Stanley Illman and Alex Beccaria. And Stanley is the founder of Frontrunner that many of us know for their accessories, but Stanley is a lifelong overlander in Africa and around the world. And Alex Beccaria was one of the founders of the G-Wagon Entdecker project that was done with Unicat, also with Stanley. So a very interesting individual that has had a lifetime of travel in Mercedes G-Class and Range Rovers, et cetera. Enjoy my conversation with Stanley and Alex. This episode is supported in part by Red Ox Manufacturing. Since 1986, Red Ox Manufacturing has been handcrafting the toughest soft-sided travel luggage in the world. Founded and operated by second-generation United States veterans, Red Ox bags are backed by the industry's finest warranty, the Noble Lifetime Warranty. You break it, we'll wonder how, then we'll repair it or replace it, no questions asked. Designed and lovingly built with pride in Billings, Montana, using 99% American source materials, Red Ox bags are unique and innovative and tough as tanks. Scott Brady here, publisher of Overland Journal and Expedition Portal, and I am at beautiful Lake Baringo in central Kenya. And I'm with two gentlemen that have been overlanding for literally decades in some of the most harsh environments on the planet. And they've come to the conclusion, what is the ultimate overlander? And they've built it for themselves here with these Mercedes-Benz Galandavagen Entdeckers. I've got Stanley Illman from Frontrunner, and I've also got Alex Beccaria from Dimes. And these two gentlemen have been traveling together for how long? 30 odd years. For 30 years. And I'm sure you guys have seen some crazy things in Africa over that period of time. And how long have you been using the Mercedes Galandavagen? I've been using it since the first one ever came out. Okay, so from the late 70s. Right. And you've had uh, many of them. I mean, I've seen a few, but... I've had about 10. 10 of them all together. And uh, Alex, how about you? How long have you been using the, the Galandavagen? Well, since the first time Stanley took me on a trip, I was on the hook. Yeah. And then I bought the first one, and then the second one, and then the third one. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, and and what, Stanley? What would you describe is the the thing that really draws you to the the Galandavagen? What what uh, makes it the ultimate vehicle for you? I think the riding comfort to start with the visibility that one has in the vehicle, and also um, just the space inside the vehicle, the coolness that one feels when when one's driving in the car. Mm. It has a vertical windscreen, which helps. Yeah. Stops the sun getting on you most of the day. And uh, the car rides very safely. We've never had any real serious accidents or anything else. It just seems to stay on the road. Yeah, and you you have a a long history in motorsports as well. So I think you probably expect the vehicle to perform at a level that maybe some of the other ones can't. I think we drive them a little quicker than than one would normally drive them. But, uh, you know, we've got to save the vehicle. I think that's the secret. 
try and treat it as best you can sure. over the distances you've got to cover over the period that there's. Yeah. And Alex, what would you say are some of the things that stand out in your mind of why you like the Galandewagen? Um, I like the fact that it is quite narrow, not wide. So, and as, as Stanley said, has a very good visibility. It's always very easy to see where the car starts and stops. So, to corner it or to go through uh, trees or uh, even the tracks are uh, on when you when you're traveling on tracks, you you are really on the tracks and not the danger of being off the track. Yeah. With the danger of uh, having punctures or uh, other issues on your tires. Uh, the, the, the comfort is great. I don't think there is any other car with this kind of comfort, driving position and so on. So I think we just also we like it because we've been using it for so many years and sure. uh, uh, we hope we can use it for many more years. Yeah, the, the thing that I've noticed about the Glondewagen is they, they, they kind of figured out the perfect uh, set of, of specifications. It's the 112 inch wheelbase, so it's long enough to be stable at high speeds, but short enough to still do well in technical terrain. The approach and the departure angles are also very aggressive for a vehicle like this. So I've found that uh, with that and the differential locks and the excellent ground clearance, these things really do perform well in the dirt. And we've seen that in some of the driving that we've done here on this trip, although none of it was particularly technical. We did need that kind of ground clearance, particularly when we went over the pass from Uganda into Kenya. We got into some larger boulders and ledges that we needed to climb up and down. And I was certainly thankful that we had a vehicle with this much ground clearance as well. So tell me a little bit about what inspired the Entecker. You shared the story a little bit with me, but what was the thing that said, we're going to build not only what we believe to be the ultimate vehicle, the Galandewagen, but we're going to build the ultimate Galandewagen. Well, I think what inspired us was that we converted these vehicles for many, many years with all sorts of tents or, you know, and roof racks and bull bars and types of wheels and whatever else we tried. And that is what the huge opportunity in Switzerland at some stage about, what's it, eight, nine years ago? That uh, 10 years ago, I think, when we started and uh, we went to the factory and uh, the Swiss importer could, were buying the Puch, not so much Mercedes, but it was called the Puch. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we started with that and we, we were able to spec the vehicle exactly the way we wanted it. And that was a great opportunity for us. And you guys bought 10 of them, if I recall. Yes, correct. And then, and then once you bought the vehicle, Stanley shared with me a little bit about how that process worked because it, it was going to take almost two years to get the cars. Right. So that gave you lots and lots of time to fill out the spec sheet with all the goodies on it, right? Correct. And at the same time, get prepared yeah. what to do with them once we get delivery. Sure. So what we did is we, we I took one engineer in South Africa, Robbie Blatch, and he sat and we tried to get as many drawings as we could. And we tried to design the interior for the fuel tanks and what we wanted to put inside for additional fuel and for the water and for the draw systems and the nets and then in the top, you know, mm. the net systems. And we designed all that on CAD before we even started. And then we decided to have them built by Unicat, so we gave them some drawings and they put the stuff together for us basically. And one of the things that I think has been neat for me is is how many consumer products that Frontrunner has released as a result of this project. 
you guys figured out what worked and then you made other other pro- products available to the consumer. Correct. We did exactly that. So we yeah. and today we we figured the front runners figured out some door systems and some water tanks and fuel tanks for, for the diesel demand bargains that are allowed, especially the the professionals and, yeah. and some of the other ones as well, the five hundreds or whatever they are. So so Alex, tell me where have you guys taken these trucks? What are some of the the highlights of your adventures with these vehicles? Oh, I don't know. It's all a personal uh, taste. You know, I think Algeria was certainly a very nice trip to the very south of Algeria on the border with Mali. That was a very nice trip. Um, we drove them, they came up and twice from South Africa to, to Kenya. Uh, Ethiopia was also a very nice trip. Every trip is nice. Different, yeah. huh? You can do the same route twice every time it's different when you yeah. travel in Africa because uh, this is the magic about this country. You know? It's uh, always full of adventures and surprises. Yeah, I've thoroughly enjoyed traveling with you guys and it showed me a lot about why you guys designed the vehicles the way that you did. You've kept them as light as possible because you want them to perform in a certain way. You've also kept them pretty low to the ground. You didn't put big suspension lifts or anything on them um, because you wanted the vehicles to handle it at high speeds. And and I've noticed on some of these roads here in Africa that anything can happen. A huge pothole or a ledge or a donkey running in from the side or a, heaven forbid a child running in from the side. And you guys need these trucks to be able to perform limit handling. And, and they do, they really do handle well. Yes, I think the trucks handle very, very well, and and uh, really you don't get yourself into much trouble with these compared to other vehicles. The axle front on very corrugated roads doesn't seem to throw you off that much. Yeah. They seem to do very, very well. With so, um, Stanley, what would you say are your top two or three things that you did to the vehicle that you liked the most? The the modification that you you thought, man, that really exceeded my expectations. Well, the rooftop tents were a big thing for the Magellinas that we put on. I think without them, wouldn't have really the vehicles that we're talking about. The roof racks that hold them, keeps yeah. it all together. Yeah. So, but we use the tent also as a container for certain stuff. Yeah. As you know, we have a spare windscreen inside. Yeah. It's a place where we can put uh, uh, sand tracks yeah. in, or we can put our sleeping bags or whatever. All sits there, it's out of the way. Sure. That's, uh, Yeah, I thought that was a a good idea that you guys had to put these Lexan windscreens that they they keep the the film on so they don't get scratched. And then they stick the windscreen underneath the mattress. So they've got a spare windscreen just in case it gets damaged by a rock or something going down the road or a branch comes through it. They're able to pop out the factory windscreen and put in a replacement so that they can get home. Yeah, we've done it once. Many years ago, we hit a kudu, and uh, we drove all the way back from the top of Zimbabwe back to South Africa without a windscreen. Yeah, and that would not, not be any pleasant. fun. <laughs> not pleasant. At all. No. So you like the obviously the front runner rack. It's one of the one of really the forefront in the industry as far as lightness and strength, um, and also um, you know modif- uh, modifications that you can do to the rack. So the different accessories sure. that you can fit. So beyond the tent and the rack, is there anything else, Stanley? Yeah, that you there's really- light bars, there's lights, there's, there's uh, awnings. Yeah. Um, you can you can put jerry cans on top. You can put water on top if you need more. Yeah. You know, just depend on the configuration, where one's going and what one's doing. Yeah. They're very flexible 
type of system that, that, that really works for, for most. Yeah, I think we did as well is we added the spare wheel carriers on, onto the vehicles as well to carry two spare wheels on the back. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, the bull bars that we made for them as well with a winch plate, we made those at front runner as well, which seems to work quite well. Yeah, those are very nice bumpers. I think one of the last the modifications that we did, which I think is really simple but really great, is this uh, uh, wing uh, rear windows that allow access to the luggage compartment. And because we have a draw system and it's lying, everything is lying at a higher level, it makes life so much easier when you camp and so you have access direct to the, the storage boxes and so on. Yeah, I noticed that I've used that many times on the trip already. You just push in the two latches and, and up they go, and you can access a bag that's closer to the other end. Yeah, absolutely. As well as the net, the cargo net inside is also also quite handy. Yeah, it's been it's been nice for me to see these vehicles again. I, I, I test drove the Entdecker the first time in 2011, but it was for a pretty short period of time. But for me to now be able to spend weeks with the car, I can really see both of your vision come through in the vehicle. And it's certainly the kind of truck that you would want to drive around the world, that's for sure. Yeah, you can. You can go anywhere with that truck. I mean, it's got yeah. two refrigerators in it. Yeah. Had very good access through the back doors, which also works very, very well. Yeah. And so, you know, you utilize the vehicle to, to its ultimate. Yeah, l- large water tank, a large fuel tank, all with transfer pumps. Right. Yeah, it, it really makes it very livable. I noticed that there's not a lot of effort required to make something happen. That's a lot great. of times people, they're, 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 everything's an afterthought. With this, you push a button, turns on the pump, you go to the rear bumper, you've got water. Yeah. Correct. And the other thing is that it's the, the secret to, and the years of experience is the ease of access to everything very quickly. What's important, you know, and you're able to put up a camp in five minutes. Yeah, absolutely. That's what makes it really worthwhile. And pull it down maybe in 10. Yeah. You know, and pack up and go. So you guys have, have employed some some interesting materials in with these vehicles. I know that the roof tents employ some carbon fiber, and you guys have even had titanium shovels prepared for the vehicles. What what of those unique products have you found worked really well for you? What are the things that you would recommend others to consider? Always consider, I believe, is the lightness of everything. And the secret to traveling and really traveling is every time you get back, whatever you have in use, you can either take it. That's the real uniqueness of it. We made a titanium shackle, saves another few pounds here and there, got a few shackles in the car. Yes. You know, it's all the little bits that add up. By the time you finish, you can have another 50 pounds in the car. And that would easily be another 50 pounds of fuel if you needed it for range, or just keeping the vehicle lighter so it performs better. Oh, water. Or water, yeah, absolutely. So, Alex, what were some of the things, some of those more exotic things that you put on the truck that you really found worked great? Oh, that's a good question. It's, uh, well, you try things out also because uh, you may end up uh, uh, seeing that you don't really use. We tried, we put, we put these uh, round canisters, which used to be in old Mercedes-Benz spare wheels as a tool reserve, old ones. And we found a way to fit them in the, in the spare wheels. Uh, after we put them, we realized that if you fill them completely with oil, which is what we did, you're making the spare wheel carrier very heavy. Yeah. You know, with the big Hutchinson bead, with the beadlock. And yeah. another, there's a version that takes seven and a version that takes nine liters, plus the weight of the carry can becomes very heavy. And we started seeing that the original Mercedes-Benz uh, spare wheel carrier started cracking. So we had to reinforce them and then we decided we don't need that much 
uh, uh, oil. Sure. You can carry half the amount, but it's a good place because you don't use it. Yeah. So, uh, the, the barbecue grill sits in a very nice position. It's normally always dirty, so it's a good place to keep it on the spare wheel. It's also uh, a nice a nice product. I mentioned to you yesterday the uh, carbon fiber sun plates. Yeah. So again, another way to increase uh, lightness. Thank you. But every trip uh, we get some new ideas, uh, uh, also from our travel companions, some suggestions, and then we see if we can either improve or or change something that is already existing, or whether there is a new product that can be developed and can be added. Uh, So it's a continuous uh, development, and because we made a certain number of vehicles, it becomes a small series product because everyone who has one of these vehicles wants to wants that uh, accessory or that amendment sure. or whatever. Sure. Yeah, that's one of the things that's been neat for me to see through this process is is how much testing you guys do. I mean, the the advantage that Frontrunner has with its owner out here using the products in the field that's very unique. Not a lot of companies do that. No, they don't, and uh, I think that's the secret to how you build lighter and better stuff. We always try to keep everything as light as possible. And uh, I think that, you know, it works in the end. You see what breaks. Sure. You can engineer everything. You think it's perfect, but it ain't. So they hit the corrugations and the big bumps, everything yeah. starts to fall off. Sure, sure. No, and that's been another part of the thing that's been fun is to watch you guys work through problems and challenges together as a team. You never saw anything as being insurmountable. And we've gotten through some some pretty significant challenges just because of determination from all of you guys sure, and, and Franzi, who's not who's not on the video here, but uh, champion Franzi. Yeah, we have a lot of fun, and uh, you know, this parts that pack up and give in like an alternator, and yeah. you have to find a way to get home. And yeah, fun fun finds ways to do things. No, that, that's great. Uh, I guess the last question I have. Um, you had all the vehicles painted matte tan, which I think looks great. Um, some would think maybe that it makes the group look very military, um, which could obviously have advantages and disadvantages. What was the mindset behind uh, the color choice, and and how have you found that that affects your travels? Well, the, uh, the first we bought we bought before this, like twenty years ago, we bought two cars in this color. 2463 special special version made for us with uh, with a chassis number because it was a not a standard Mercedes product. Again, we could pick certain specifications and uh, we we like that color very much. Uh, it ages incredibly well. Yeah. It resists very well to the dirt, even when it's dirty, it still looks good. And uh, I think the fact of looking military can be a disadvantage, but can also be an advantage. Uh, like in our case right now, uh, common um, uh, bandits would possibly be a little bit scared of a group of military-looking vehicles because they don't know if there is armed uh, soldiers inside or what, so they would rather stay away. On the contrary, when you go into terrorist area and so, military could be a bit of an issue. But uh, again, uh, because they take uh, on terrorism, Terrorists these days take uh, 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 hostages uh, quite often. Maybe it's not that good an advantage. We didn't really have any advantage so far with these vehicles. Yeah, I like the color very much. I like the color. It blends in perfectly with Africa. 
we made one black, huh? There was one one friend of mine who wanted a matte black one. Which we made a matte black one, but we don't want to use that in Africa. Not you too know, hot. Hot is already. <laughs> I agree. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate the insights. I know that these trucks have become extremely popular, not only in North America, but around the world. And I applaud you both for putting together such an amazing vehicle. Thank you, Scott. Thanks yeah. for coming on the trip with us. Yeah, I've, enjoyed I've, it. I've loved you it. Come back. Yeah, <laughs> let's hope so. And a special thanks to one of this week's sponsors, Rumpel Blankets. Rumpel started literally in the back of a van. Their story is interesting. They were on a surf and ski trip through California, and the founders of Rumpel were sleeping in a van several miles up a dirt road near a secret hot springs. They woke up the next morning in sub-zero temperatures in a car that wouldn't start. They were outside of cell reception and confronted with the real possibility of a long walk into town. So instead, they decided to bundle up in their sleeping bags and drink whiskey while they waited for someone else to show up. And that turned into hours and the conversation extended on to the subject of bedding and they came up with Rumple Blankets. Their most popular product is the original Puffy Blanket. It is their flagship product and it's available in a one-person, a two-person, and a junior size. I have used the two-person for many years. I keep it as part of my kit that lives in the vehicle just in case I run into a situation similar to what they did where I'm stranded and need some additional warmth and insulation. It's also really useful for around the camp campfire when you want that little bit of extra comfort. Um, I'll also use it when sleeping in the vehicle and then they are just the right size for a roof tent as well. So these are really high quality blankets that are weather resistant. They're made from recycled materials. They're washable and they have very durable fabrics and construction which makes them ideal for overland travel. Check out Rumple for your next blanket. And I'm here again with Alex Beccaria and Stanley Illman, and we're going to talk about these gentlemen's experience traveling around the world. If you can, in just a few seconds, gentlemen, just kind of give us where you've traveled. I know that you guys have traveled extens- extensively around the globe, but I think it'll be good for the, for the listener and the viewer to get an idea where you guys have been. Tell me some of the places you guys have traveled. Well, I've, I've traveled a most of South America, Central America, up to Alaska, and then through India and Australia and Africa. Yeah, extensively in Africa. Yeah. Right? And what about you, Alex? More or less uh, similar destinations. Well, some were together, a huh? um, bit more Asia maybe, but uh, definitely my favorite place is this continent yeah. by far. And you've also spent some time traveling in the Middle East, including extensively in Iran. Yes, in Iran, that's more for business than for uh, for pleasure. But uh, it's a nice country, interesting, as well as other Middle East uh, destinations, Saudi Arabia, Pakistan, India, or some uh, other countries in the area. It's it's uh, more complicated to travel in those areas, sure. but uh, also it's also got its uh, interesting sides. Yeah, you bet. So between the three of us, we've got the seven continents pretty well covered, and I think it'd be fun to talk about what you guys have learned in your travels, those little tidbits. So I'm going to prompt you guys with some okay. questions about some different things and how you guys tend to solve it. One of the one of the things that we oftentimes get questions on is how do you handle border crossings? 
very calmly. Time, you've got to take time, don't get excited. Sometimes you can be on a border for four or five hours. Sometimes you can be there for a day. All just depends where it is, but you've got to keep calm, talk nicely to the people, and work your way through it somehow. And how about you, Alex? This, gener this generally quite impatient person <laughs> becomes the most patient person <laughs> yeah. when it is a matter of boarding crossing. Huh? <laughs> yes, it's uh, as usual with uh, kindness, respect, uh, patience, and uh, you always find a way. We never ever had the problem. And I've noticed crossing a few borders with you guys now is that you guys employ a lot of humor. And in fact, a lot of humor, so much so more than I would normally use at a border, but it really works in Africa. Yes. I mean, you're very sweet to the people and you're, you joke around and, and you, uh, you make light of the situation. And I've noticed that they come, almost all of them, just they completely change their, their, uh, yeah, their attitude towards you and t towards us as a group. Uh, of course, the one guy in Uganda doing the carnets, no matter how we joked with him, he didn't, he didn't seem In the end, like he was fine. Yeah, in the end, he probably relaxed. <laughs> yeah, came yeah. around. Now, that was really, that was really fun to see. Um, now, and how do you guys also um, deal with your documents? Have you guys found good ways to manage your documents? Do you guys carry copies of your documents with you and... Well, we keep copies on our phones. Mm -hmm. So if we really have to show something, if we lose a document. But I don't think we've ever lost a passport no. or anything. We've never lost a document. And you guys are obviously dealing with carnets for three different vehicles. So you've got to keep track of the carnets. You've got to keep track of, obviously, the passports and the visas that are required. Yes. That's all. It's the carnet and the, and the visa. Yes. And a carnet and the passport, mm -hmm. basically. What happens, actually, on the smaller border is often that the people don't know how to handle a carnet. They... Yeah. Hardly so one. They know barely know what it is, so you have to teach them. Uh, you need to stamp here, take a section off, you know, but sure. more or less. Yeah. Uh, if you help them, they manage somehow. Yeah. yeah. And uh, what, what else have you guys found as far as adapting to the local cultures? Have you guys, do you guys do, do some research ahead of time, or how do you make sure that you don't offend your, your hosts that you're visiting and... What what do you guys normally do for research on that before you go into various I countries? I don't think we really do research on it. We don't speak the languages. But I think with the kindness and shaking of hands and the yeah. smile, I think that's all you really got to yeah, do. Yes, common sense and, you know, just just be aware that there might be a different culture, a different way of thinking, and it's fine. Um, but the basic rules of humanity apply yeah. to all human beings, you know. That's true. The differences are, are very small. Very right? minor. And they understand that you are different also. If you don't insist, you know, they, they will. It's okay. Yeah, I noticed uh, when we went from Uganda into back into Kenya and we encountered the, the militia, the way that you guys interacted with them, you very quickly attempted to calm the situation down. Every able-bodied man in the village was there with a weapon, including bows and arrows. So it could have easily gone the other direction. Uh, and I know oftentimes travelers are, are fearful of those kinds of situations. How do you guys normally deal with that kind of tension? In that particular incident when we were there, I actually felt no tension at all. Because what you could realize is as, you, as I saw the people coming toward us, there was like the chief mm. who was there. And they normally don't start a problem. Yeah. That's the way I find it anyway. And if, if the old guy's there, then you normally don't have a problem. Mm. You've got to go and shake his hand first. 
yeah. go to that 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 way of doing things and just bring yourself you know don't be the big deal yeah be very humble and when they asked us i think the first thing they asked us was, was some water yeah, i gave them i, I filled the water and i gave yeah. it to them to yeah. start with because one man come on came on yeah, first sure. yeah then the others followed yeah and uh gave them some water and then we started talking they we asked them to say that Almost nobody comes through that uh, road. They said the car a year, perhaps. Huh? Yeah. And then, and then they wanted to know why and what and how many vehicles. And okay. No, it so, seems like you guys, guys did a really nice and job. Then you guys were also. I think you also did the, your portion of things. So yeah. it, altogether, it worked well. We didn't have. No, I I thought it was I thought it was great because I mean obviously when you're dealing with a heavily armed group of people in a very remote area, if you try to run. Or if you tried, if you don't, or if you show that you're very afraid or you're very aggressive. You've got to show confidence. Yeah, show confidence, but then And, and make as if you, you know they're there and you're not fearful of them anyway. I mean, yeah. But I, I, I could see that, you know, if they really wanted to hold you up, then they would have held you up. Yeah, they immediately. would have done it. Yeah. 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 So what, what have you guys found? Um, you guys have shipped vehicles around the world, too. Um, have you guys, do you guys have a preference? Do you tend to use containers or roll on, roll off? Or we, how do you- we prefer to use containers, definitely. But when in the earlier days, we had the Unimogs. We'd, we'd do them on a Roro because you couldn't yeah. put them in containers. But that was always problems because you couldn't drive them on yourselves and they didn't just disconnect the batteries properly mm. and that type of thing. But otherwise, it wasn't bad. Yeah, and I, I noticed uh, with these with these particular vehicles, you guys really like to travel with every vehicle being the same. And that certainly makes a lot of sense with regards to spares and tools and supplies. Sure. We try and carry most things where we, where we think we might have a problem, you know. So, for instance, we'd carry a starter motor because it's a 24 volt. You won't find another one in a hurry uh, on the, this particular Gelendewagens. And we carry, you know, a fair amount of spares, shock absorbers we always take. And uh, two spare wheels, fuel pump, all the things for span belts, yeah. spare fan. And gets whipped up somewhere. Lots and lots of bolts. Sure. Because they fall off. And yeah, that's about it. Yeah, I noticed. That, I mean, obviously, these vehicles have been used extensively throughout Africa, um, all the way from Algeria and Morocco in the north down to South Africa, everywhere in between, just about. And they're starting to show a little bit of age, but it seems like you guys have a lot of confidence in the platform. Um, and I also noticed that you guys. One of the things that I've taken away from this trip is if you guys hear anything different or if you feel anything different, you stop and you check it completely. Correct. Yeah. We try and fix the problem before Before it turns into a a serious no-go problem. And we've normally found that we've managed to keep them going. Yeah. Electronically, they're difficult. Yeah. They really are. And stupid little things go wrong and you have to fix and do yeah, I noticed that, uh, you know, we had a, a pretty wide range of issues with the vehicles we had, um, but none of them very serious, right? But we had a, a, a wide range, a few shock absorbers that need to be replaced. You know, these are heavy vehicles, right? Sure. And have you found, what have you found kind of in general with these vehicles that you've needed to pay more attention to? Or, is, or has it really just been across the board? Originally, when they were Euro 5, we had them. Brought down to Euro three, Euro four. They were we they were Euro four to start with, and we brought them down, down to, to Euro, Euro three for the use here in Africa. For, for the use in Africa temporarily, and uh, as Alex said, and uh, 
with that scenario, the problems went away. We had a lot of turbo problems mm. in the beginning. With the, with the bad fuel. With the bad fuel. Because it needed the ultra-low sulfur diesel. Yeah, mm. which gotcha. you couldn't get. Yeah. And what are what are some of the things, Stanley, that you found in all of your years of modifying vehicles? What would you, what do you think are some of the most important things that people need to do to their truck when they first, let's say they buy a new Land Cruiser or they buy a new Galandavagen? What are you, what do you think is kind of your top five things that you recommend that they that they look at modifying on the vehicle for long distance travel? <laughs> my, my experience over the years now is don't modify anything. Yeah. Keep it as stock standard as possible. Yeah. Maybe you can do something with springs and a little bit of shock absorbers here and there. But I think that's about it. And just good tires. Yeah. Try and get to 16-inch rooms with lots of flotation on the tires with bigger bigger walls on the yeah. tires. And I think that that's basically it. And I noticed that you guys started off with the Hutchinson wheels on the G-Wagons, and then you've since removed them. Alex, what, was, what did you guys experience with issues on that? Well, we didn't really experience particular issues. Uh, in the beginning, we were more in the North African countries, much more desert, plenty sand, so the need of uh, reducing the tire pressure was, was bigger, and uh, so that's why we started off. But there is also disadvantages. There is uh, a lot of weight and sprung weight. Um, the fitting of tires is not as simple as one would think, despite the split rims. And uh, so we recently, for this part of the trip, we thought let's go more simple. Mm. And also because this can be, uh, a tire can be fitted by in any shop, by any place, with any, while the other one was a more complicated uh, thing. Uh, we still have them for yeah, the so next uh, just in case. desert uh, yeah. trip. Yeah. And um, oh, it's mainly a weight, mainly a weight thing. Another thing I noticed as well is that you guys um, do a lot of your own cooking um, and you make sure that you take the time to cook meals, good, healthy meals with plenty of calories and and so that you stay strong as a traveler. What Did you guys always do that? Have you always cooked? Half the fun is cooking. Yeah. Half the travel is cooking. You know, we, we don't cook fancy always, but we take with some meat, we have a deep freeze and we have a fridge and we like cold beer and cold water and cold drinks and we like some nice food and Alex brings magic food from Italy yeah and we got salami and we've got ham and we've got this and that so we travel very comfortably with that stuff a couple of tins of rations in case we really get stuck somewhere for quite a while we've got always a surplus of tin food or some sort of sure yeah and I and I noticed uh, for me oftentimes I like to, to eat where the locals eat but I always, I oftentimes get sick. And you guys mentioned that you hardly ever get sick on your trips because you're managing your own food. Well, we'll buy vegetables and stuff on the way, okay? Yeah. And we'll, we'll fruit. Yeah. And then we just make sure we clean it really properly. And yeah. Make sure. But, you know, if you eat in the local places, you've got to watch out for the salads and this and that because of the water. Yeah. So you're not used to it. So you get it. Yeah. But also the meat or so you don't know. The we don't know. Kept, so we, bring, uh, we normally bring meat. Uh, from home or wherever, you know, try and bring meat in or go find a reputable butcher wherever you are. Yeah. It's a, it's a good and usually we vacuum pack it and uh, sure. the rations per day. So, so we, did, we defrost whatever we need. It's working out. And, and Alex, on, on these particular G-Wagons, how do you guys manage water? How much water do you have on board? 
you tend to want to filter it before it comes in or do you filter it if one tank gets tainted do you no, filter what it afterwards? we normally do is we have 95 liters of water in each truck but that's only for that it's a cooking water and washing water showering water and then for drinking we have bottles which are easier to keep to store keep cold in the fridge and so on mm. but if we find fresh water very good water like for instance here you will get some good water that you can drink I would take that water and we fill the tanks and uh, then we can use that to fill bottles with water and put them back in the fridge or what happens otherwise is we try and empty one truck first mm. with a good water and then we fill that truck with the shower water that can be any then water from, from a river truck. or whatever and we use it just for that purpose and we keep running the drinking water or cooking water from the other vehicles. And, and I noticed, Alex, that you guys had some tablets or some liquid that you would put in. Do you use just standard bleach or what, what do you typically use to no, treat, treat a, the tanks? It's a German product. Of, um, well, do, I use Miltons. Stuff yeah. is used for kids for washing the bottles. So okay. A little bit of chlorine. Little water bit of chlorine. doesn't taste great, but it works. But it gets all the, the yeah, bad guys out of it. Yeah, seems to do pretty yeah, sure. Coffee that we have in the morning anyway, we it's boil it. Yeah, sure. And it's funny. Um, what do you guys normally do? Have you found that works well for the clothing that you wear? Do you just tend to wear whatever's most comfortable, or do you do you have a brand or a tip, tip, particular type of clothing you like to wear when you're in the bush? I wear normally t-shirts or a yeah. shirt like this, or just a light, but the lighter colors are better for the tsetse flies in Africa. Darker colors they tend to attack you. Yeah, and that was a good a good piece of advice you gave me. I showed up I showed up with these nice travel shirts, but they're all dark colored. Yeah. And you said, Scott, that's not gonna work. <laughs> and they're and I said, Well, it's pretty thick, and you said they'll go right, right through, through it. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that and those are the little things that that uh we all learn as we sure. travel, right? We sure. pick up these these little pieces of advice that that make travel a little bit better. Yes. Generally, we travel comfortably with shorts or something. Mm -hmm. uh, also, we like to give the impression that we are tourists, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, sure. which uh, this helps. And then it uses less space, uh, easier to wash, everything. Sure. And then, of course, we keep also a set of long uh, uh, pants and long sleeve uh, uh, shirts. shirts, so and that in case there is mosquitoes soft. or things, we, we wear those. So we, we wear those in the evening. Keeps the horses. Yeah, or, or the local governor invites you over for dinner or whatever well, happens. We haven't but. had that problem. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, good. Um, now, what do you guys normally do for navigation? That's another thing. Here in Africa, what do you tend Tracks to use? Tracks for Africa. Yeah. Tracks for Africa, generally, a few Quite a few roads that we go on are not on the tracks and then we submit them back and hopefully also, I think they only publish after they've got three or four tracks on the same place before they publish and um, but uh, basically we use that to try and find some maps and stuff in between mm -hmm. and then just work our way through and ask locals and go and find roads if we've never been before or look on Google Earth Google Maps works very well there's lots of they're not real tracks, so the, the tracks are there, but the roads that they show are not real roads, they're just being traced off off, off the Google Earth oh, pictures. Sure. Nobody's actually driven those and submitted those as proper, proper tracks with proper coordinates on. I've, I think you saw when we drove on it, We ha I had a track and yes. that track from Google, it, it didn't quite match the exact road that we were on, sometimes exactly. it was a couple hundred meters out. 
Yeah, I noticed you guys used a, a broad spectrum of resources for that. Yeah. Um, Tracks for Africa on the Garmin GPS yeah. units. Um, and then I think a couple of us had Tracks for Africa also on the tablets and the phones. Right. Have you used any, you're using anything different, Alex? Or are no, you using exactly other tools? Same. Same just the Tracks for Africa. Same. And then there was a few times we talked to locals just to clarify sure, which is the if best this route or that one is better. I think it was early in Uganda that we found that um, there was a road that looked like it would go through and the locals said, no, that the road's not a good road to take. So, And I also noticed that you guys spent the time talking to locals to get an idea about security. If this was, there were places where they said, oh, it's not really safe to go here, but if you go this way, it's okay. It's better this way or that way. And, you know, this place has been cleared and yeah, there's more traffic. That also changes in time. You know, it, it may does. be so at a specific time and three months later is a different scenario with a different so It could get only, better or worse, yeah. That you can only uh, find out. My particular feeling is the more remote, the safer it is. And yeah, we certainly noticed that time in this this particular trip. And and I, I have to compliment you, Stanley. We we drove some wonderful roads. I mean, a couple of them when you're in low range and going over rocks sure. and boulders and and beautiful. And there was nobody there. Not, we didn't see another vehicle sure. when we traveled from Uganda into Kenya. And then when we went uh, down towards Lake Baringo from, I think it was uh, Lokichar from that yeah. region, we didn't see another traveler. We saw some locals, but, sure. but no, we didn't see another traveler the entire time. Brian and I were, were talking about that. Um, that during the entire trip, we didn't see another overlander the entire time because we were so remote. Yeah. So that that was a real pleasure. Yeah. We've never, I've never been to those remote areas that we went to this time, and it's absolutely beautiful, very very yeah. nice. So Stanley, if you were going to give um, a short summary piece of advice to someone who wants to get into traveling in Africa, they've maybe not traveled that much. What would be the advice that you would give maybe a young couple in their early 20s that want to go travel? What would you tell them to encourage them to travel? I would say start in the areas where there are more people that you learn a little bit and always try and travel with more than one group. Try and travel in a group, find another group to join up with. Be two or three vehicles is the best way to travel, you know? Don't make it, I mean, I think the maximum amount one should travel with if one does this type of thing is maybe five, four, four or five vehicles. Maximum others becomes unruly, keep on working. Yeah. So somewhere between two and three and four and five. Yeah. Perfect. In the early years, we traveled in a single vehicle. I travel a lot in a single vehicle. It's not easy. Yeah. You get lost, you don't know where you are. Okay, today it's a GPS and a satellite phone is a lot easier, but in the old times, it was nothing. It was a compass and a map. Lot more difficult, yeah. lot more difficult. And Alex, if you were going to give some advice to a, a new, a young couple in Switzerland that were getting ready to prepare a vehicle and travel around the world, what would you tell them? Well, the Swiss are quite adventurous anyway. They do travel yeah. plenty. Uh, I would say the same. I think that uh, traveling in a group is also more fun if the group is the right one. It's certainly safer. Also, if something goes wrong. Uh, and uh, I think uh, there is a lot to see and a lot to learn yeah. in the world. And uh, one life is not enough yeah. to see it all, so better hurry up. <laughs> no, that's great advice. Yeah, we certainly all do need to get out and see as much of this world as possible. Well, gentlemen, I can't thank you both enough for the time. Um, it's been a great learning experience for me traveling with both of you. 
Um, it was an inspiring trip. We saw some beautiful places here in Africa. And, and I would recommend to everyone watching and listening uh, to come and see Uganda and come and see Kenya, uh, beautiful people and wonderful countries.